Hi there, everybody. Welcome to the NFL Road Show. Lindsay Rhodes here. And guys, we are T-minus six days and counting. The 2021 NFL Draft less than a week away now, and the intrigue is still as high as ever. We still don't know who the Niners are taking at three. We have no idea what the Falcons will do at four, though Steve Weich helped us out in that department earlier in the week, pointing out the various options. The Bengals are an either-or conversation at five, and all of this will affect everything that comes after that point. I am obsessed. I freaking love this year's draft. And I keep thinking that I want to do a mock draft, but I'm not even halfway through the first round with my deep dive processing of the options, which is the only way that I know how to do it. I cannot bring myself to just throw darts at a dartboard. So my goal is to finish out the first round, get to a point where I feel pretty knowledgeable about all the players and team needs and maybe get a mock draft out there next week. Just have some skin in the game. I think it'll be fun. It will not be even remotely as nuanced as the mock drafts that my guest today puts out. His name is Dane Brugler. And if you don't know his name and you're into the NFL, I highly suggest that you get to know his work. Much like Daniel Jeremiah and Mel Kuyper, this is his time of year. He spends the entire year gathering information for the draft and has published so much material in this last month. You could literally read that and nothing but that between now and the draft and still not finish it all. He is really good. He is the NFL draft analyst for The Athletic. And I think that you will feel like a smarter draft fan in about 45 minutes after listening to Dane Brugler. I am super excited that he made time to answer my questions and humor my thoughts. So let's go ahead and break the huddle. Dane, you have been so busy. I don't know how you do it. You released your 300-player big board yesterday. You authored The Beast, 267 pages of dense data-filled, 415 scouting reports. You ranked 636 prospects. You did a seven-round mock draft. Are you at this point dreaming about the draft? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because in July, I want to talk about the draft and, you know, but no one wants to talk about it with me. So by the time we get to April, it's like everyone wants to talk about it. So I'm all in. Um, you know, this is this is my passion. It's what I love doing. And it's been a really challenging year, obviously, with everything going on. So a lot of different hurdles. And I'm just I'm, I'm proud we made it this far. You know, we're, we're on the doorstep of the draft. Um Still a lot of things we got to figure out. This is a really interesting draft class, but, um, you know, a lot of people in the league and around scouting, they, they worked hard to make this happen. And so it's been uh, it's been an interesting year, but, um, you know, I'm glad we're we made it this far. How do you keep all of the information that you are processing straight in your mind? Because I feel like I'm just looking at like the first round. And I'm already like, wait, was that a trait for that guy? Am I getting them confused? You know, I have to like check my notes constantly. And I feel like you know all this stuff off the top of your head and you're talking about all seven rounds worth of guys. Well, I I just think it's because I, you know, eat, drink, breathe this stuff uh, year round. Um, You know, it's is, in my opinion, it's the only way you can do this is to, uh, you know, invest all the time into each one of these players to know them front and back. Um, not not just on the field, but, uh, you know, the, their background, where they're coming from. And really, that's my favorite part of this process is all the research that goes into it. I think in order to know or project where these guys are going to go, we need to know where they're coming from. You know, I think that really helps. Uh, you know, what adversities have they faced in their lives? 
uh, you know, what maybe they were a basketball player up until their junior year of high school and they made that transition. All of it is relevant and it's all fascinating to me. And so I, I love that part of it, talking to the players, talking to coaches, talking to high school coaches, uh, just to find out what were these players like and uh, just learning about their journey. Uh, you know, it's it's no two journeys are alike. So it's really interesting to find out uh, just what they've uh, what they've been through on, on their path to get up to this point. So really fascinating. And then, of course, the tape study, uh, really focusing what goes on uh, on the field and, uh, you know, how we can focus on specific traits that will translate what might what might not. And, you know, it's the game is constantly evolving. And so scouting is constantly evolving. And so I think it's important every year that you self-evaluate and understand what you're looking for. Um, so it's, it's a big process. And like I said, I, the only way to do it is to, to do this year round and really, uh, you know, be in the trenches uh, with it to, to really uh, the best understand it. And that's what scouts are doing around the league. So that's what I, I try to do on the media side from the outside looking in. Do you consume other people's takeaways or how do you try to ensure that you're not parroting someone else's thoughts and that everything that you say about a player is what you have genuinely come up with on your own? You know, there are probably a handful of uh, people in the media that I, you know, will talk to about players. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll bounce stuff off there, Daniel Jeremiah and trade notes with him or, uh, you know, Lance Zerline, who, who does a lot of work for NFL.com. It, it's a pretty tight circle. Um, but, you know, I, I think the conversations with people around the league, scouts, uh, execs, things like that, that's that's really where a lot of, a lot of information comes from that, you know, because I am one person. And so I don't have the resources that... Uh, at my disposal to really vet these guys uh, beyond what what I can only do uh, within my means. So you know, I, relying on my sources within the league and contacts and buddies, that's a huge part of what I do. Um, just to find out, okay, you know, because I you know I'll go on my my own road trips and scouting trips and things like that. But you know, what are the, what these players like? Uh, you know, on, during practice, what are they like during uh, film room? Um, all these things, talking to as many people as I can. To uh, just the way I look at it is it, it each player is a puzzle and you want to collect as many of these pieces as you can to put the puzzle together to give us the most clear picture possible about who they are as people, as players, and then eventual NFL players. Well, I commend you for all the work that you do, uh, having worked at NFL Network for so long. You know, there's a whole research department there of <laughs> a lot of very talented people that are plugging away on this research packet that they give uh, everybody there. And you essentially provide that research packet to all of us. We call it the beast, right? Um, which right. you're an, if you're an athletic subscriber, you can, you can get, and is such a valuable thing to have in your hands at this time of year. But I just think it's crazy that you are doing all of that work all on your own. And I've got tons of questions for you about the things okay. that you have, um, uh, you know, the conclusions that you've come to. I want to start with your big board though, because it just came out. Um, one guy, that you seem to like a lot more than the rest of the draft community is Landon Dickerson, the center slash guard from Alabama. You have him as the 21st best prospect in this class. More typically, we're seeing him around 34. What do you think you value in him that other people might not value quite as much? I just can't quit Landon Dickerson. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Um, and really, I, I think if, if not for the injury concerns, we'd be talking about Landon Dickerson as you know more of a top 20 guy. Um, and this is really where it's tough for those of us on the outside looking in uh, when you talk about character concerns or medical concerns. 
Um, it, it, it is tough. And with Landon Dickerson, the first three years at Florida State, in and out of the lineup, a lot of injuries, transfers to Alabama, and he started uh, 24 straight games for Alabama. It looked like he was kind of out of the woods, you know, avoiding those those injuries. And then in the SEC title game, tears his ACL. Um, you know, just hated to see that for him. He's such a good player, power, quickness. Uh, he understands uh, from an instinctive point of view. I mean, he understands what defenders are trying to do. Uh, he stays in position. He can play guard, can play center. He actually started uh, left tackle and right tackle over his career. So he has functional experience at all five positions. Um, I, I think that as long as if I'm a general manager and as long as my team doctor, my trainer are giving me two thumbs up and saying, could he get injured again? Sure, as possible. But where he is right now, you know, his ACL is rehabbing nicely. There's nothing that suggests long-term damage. Um, I'd be willing to bet on Landon Dickerson at some point in the back half of round one. Now, you know, obviously when you deal with injuries, and that's what I'm talking to scouts uh, these last two weeks, they're going to these draft meetings, fingers crossed, toes crossed, that they're not going to hear, um, oh yeah, by the way, we got to take this guy off their, off our board because right. you know he's got a shoulder, he's got a knee, whatever. Um, and that's what is a little late in the process this year. Without a combine, uh, we're you know we had the, uh, about 150 players go to Indianapolis earlier this month over two to three week span and really get these uh, you know the in depth medical evaluations with NFL teams, and so they've been able to get more information. And so we're getting some of this late info from teams that uh, this player might drop a little bit further than we thought. And, you know, this, and this. so with Landon Dickerson, I, I think it's just, if you're comfortable with the injury concerns, you're going to feel comfortable with him in that 20 to 40 range somewhere. Um, and I've got, I'm on the high end of that range just because I think he's, he's such a good player. And uh, as long as the medicals are okay, I'd be willing to bet on him. like the Steelers at 24, maybe Packers at 29, a couple of teams that need yeah. centers. There you go. And that, I think that makes a ton of sense. Uh, you look at the Jets at 23, throw them in there as well. Uh, they need to get better on the interior. Um, I, I, the Jets also pick early in uh, the second round. So yeah, one of those spots make, makes a ton of sense. Another guy you seem to like more than most uh, is Joe Tryon, the edge rusher from Washington. Mm-hmm. You have him ranked 34th. The consensus is 53. What do you like about him? Yeah, and this is a, a really interesting edge rusher class because you know we've been spoiled those last few years with Miles Garrett and Chase Young and the Bosa's. We, we've had that clear cut top ten pass rusher. Uh, this year, we don't. We probably won't have a top ten pass rusher, but there's it's still a pretty good class because we have this really intriguing group of skilled but flawed pass rushers in the back half of round one. Uh, you know, talking about Quiddy Pay from Michigan, Aziz Ojulari, Georgia. Uh, Jason Owe, Penn State, one of the more fascinating players in this draft. Mm-hmm. And I think Joe Tryon's right there, uh, kind of in that mix. Uh, he's another opt-out, didn't play this year. He just he looks like an action figure when you look at him. Uh, the muscle definition at 6'5", 260, uh, a 4'6 athlete, tested really well. And his final year at Washington, he it was 2019 film, he, he played well in flashes. He had eight, eight and a half sacks. He averaged a tackle for a loss per start. So, you know, on field, you, you saw him starting to get it, starting to really click. Uh, he, you check boxes for the size, you check boxes for the traits. Uh, you know, he's a projectable pass rusher. And, and in my opinion, I'd rather take a chance on him than say a Gregor Rousseau uh, out of Miami. And so there's split opinion on him. I, I think that we're going to see, uh, you know, a lot of differing opinions about how these pass rushers are going to come off the yeah. board. There's no consensus about what the order is. 
And Joe Tryon's right there in that mix as a late one, early two, a pass rusher that teams are really intrigued with. Feels like this is a position that we've seen people maybe make a lot of mistakes at. Um, So that in mind, who do you think is the safest bet in this edge rusher rusher class? We're always going to see teams bet on upside, you know, bet on the traits and what a player could be especially a pass rusher. Um, you know, Marcus Davenport, uh, when he was coming out of UTSA uh, three years ago, who at very similar to Joe Tryon in a lot of ways, Saints traded up to number 14 overall and drafted him. And he's been a solid player, but he hasn't lived up to what it costs to go and get him. Um, I don't know that, you know, I, any of these guys are really looked at as safe because each one of them, you could kind of pull holes at Jalen Phillips. Uh, I, I think he might be the safest in terms of the on-field talent but three diagnosed concussions at UCLA, they basically told him, we can't clear you. You have to medically retire. Um, he transfers to Miami, starts 10 games for them this past year and played really well, played at a high level. You see flashes of Ryan Kerrigan or Nick Bosa when you watch him play because he has a plan. He can win with power. He can win with quickness. Uh, love the way he can use his hands. But the medical stuff, that makes it really tough with Jalen Phillips. Uh, Quiddy Pay didn't have a ton of production. Um, I think part of that's the way Michigan used him. But 6'2 and a half, 260, uh, he, he's equally effective versus a run in the pass. I think he might be the answer uh, just in terms of a, a high floor player. Like you feel like you know what you're getting with Quiddy Pay. And my favorite is Aziz Audulari, uh, my favorite pass rusher in this class. Only a redshirt sophomore, not the biggest guy when you're just looking at him, 6'2, 250 pounds. But when you factor in that he has 34 and a half inch arms, which is you know usually the length of a 6'5 player, it's almost the, the best of both worlds because he has the length where he can set a hard edge and get the blockers in their chest. But he has he's at a 6'2 frame, so he can win with leverage. He can play underneath blockers. Uh, he can dip and rip around the edge. So as he's Audulari, and you factor in 20 years old, he led the SEC in sacks, tackles for loss, forced fumbles last year. Uh, there's just so much to like about who he is now and what he's going to be. So a lot of these pass rushers are traits based. Um, it, there's a little bit of projection involved. Uh, Jason Oway, a great example of that out of Penn State, zero sacks. That, that, that number is going to stick out like a sore thumb for a lot of people. But when you watch his film, you, know, you throw on the Indiana film and you see him consistently in the backfield. He is disrupting what the quarterback is trying to do. He's disrupting the rhythm of the offense. And yeah, at the, at the end of the at the end of the day, you want your 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 pass rusher to get sacks, but the most important thing is to be disruptive. That that that's production. And if you're affecting what the quarterback is doing, then uh, you know I think you're doing your job. And so a guy like uh, Jason Oway, who didn't start playing football until his junior year in high school, still learning, um, but he's the freakiest of the freaks at 6'5", 257 pounds, ran a four three. I mean that's just that's uncommon. So um, Oway, I would be very surprised if he gets out of the first round uh, next Thursday night. The way that you're talking about him reminds me of the conversations that we've had in the last couple of weeks regarding Jadavion Clowney getting mm. into the backfield, disrupting the play, but not getting those sacks. Right. So does Owe potentially need to be in a specific situation where there's a solid guy on the other side, perhaps? Because that's the clowning conversation, right? Is you're like, well, now you're going to put him with Garrett. So he's not going to see the double teams that he's seen in the past. And maybe some of that disruption will now turn into sacks or at the very least, maybe help Garrett get more sacks and ultimately just make your line better. Is Owe maybe a guy who needs to go somewhere where there's a guy on the other side? Well, yeah. And I think any pass rusher is going to benefit, obviously, right. when you know there's another guy on the other side. But certainly a player like Owe, who's still learning, he's still discovering all of his abilities and how to use them in unison 
because he, with his upper body, you do see him flash power. With his lower body, you do see the twitch. Um, and, and so just using all of his gifts uh, and marrying them together, you know, I, I think, you know, the a really common uh, comparison we've heard is, you know, Daniel Hunter, uh, Minnesota, when, you know, he was at LSU, did not have a ton of production. It was strictly a traits-based projection with him. And the Vikings got him, what, in the third round? And so it was uh, something that he was able to grow into and become that lead dog, uh, pass rusher for the Vikings. And so Owe, can he get there? I think he does have a hunter-like uh, ceiling at the NFL level. That's a nice comp. Looking at your mock, mm. uh, wondering how you put it together. Like some people are making calls and projecting what they think that the teams are most likely to do based on what they're hearing. Some people yep. are watching tape and plugging in guys uh, that they think make the most sense for various teams. How would you describe your process? Oh, it's entirely what I hear, entirely what I think NFL teams are going to do. Um, you know, my rankings, the draft guide, you know, my analysis, that, that's what I think, what I'm seeing with my eyes. Uh, the mock draft is about what I hear. And, you know, like number three to the Niners, great example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at first I would say none of us have any idea. Anybody that says they know who's going three, they're lying. It does uh, feel that way, right? Uh, unless unless your name's Kyle Shanahan. I think he's maybe John Lynch, uh, but the only two people that know. There are members of that 49ers coaching staff are kind of waiting like us on pins and needles to find out which quarterback is going to be at three. Do you know that to be true? Have you talked to them? Uh, a source of a source told me that yes, uh, that they don't know that, that they don't know that that their members of that coaching staff do not know, and and I'm sure they'll find out before Thursday. But um, yes, that the they are still, and, and I think part of it is you know, the Niners traded up from twelve to three with a specific quarterback in mind. Yeah. But they are doing their due diligence on these guys, making sure that they have the right quarterback, uh, you know, going to Columbus to see Justin Fields, his second pro day, going to Fargo to see Trey Lance. Um, and I think we have to they have already too, figured that out before they traded away all of those first round picks to go get the guy that they decided was the guy they wanted. Well, and that's why I say that they traded up with a specific quarterback in mind. I mean, they, I, I think they traded up knowing, OK, this is who we want. But now they're doing just, you know, that another round of, okay, let's make sure that we have our guy. And because these guys are all really good. It's not a case of, you know, one of these guys, uh, it's, it's, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And it's never more true than with quarterbacks. And we all kind of look at it differently, um, scheme-wise, and, and how it's going to fit, what traits we really are willing to bank on at the position. Um, but it's, it, it's just a really fascinating topic. Uh, you know, when, it, when the trade first happened, my mind immediately went to Trey Lance. I was like, yeah. okay, this is, it's a perfect fit. Uh, I think Trey Lance, when you look at his combination of athletic traits, the size, the arm, the intelligence, um, great fit for Kyle Shanahan and what he's looking to do on offense. Uh, but then the chatter from Mac Jones started and it's not a media creation. That's what NFL teams really believe, um, at least at this point. And it's tough because, yeah, my, my ears tell me Mac Jones is a pick at three. My head tells me it's Trey Lance. Uh, but you know, it's, uh, I think only Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch really know. And at this point we we have to remember that area scouts, they haven't been on the road, you know, in the fall when they're usually on campus, finding out all these details, they haven't been able to do that. Um, this year we don't have facility visits, you know, the 30 visits where teams are able to bring in players, find out more about them as people. Do they gel with the coaching staff? What's, you know, the, the culture you're trying to set, are they a fit? Uh, in that respect. Um, and then also X's and O's wise, you know, just where are they in their mental development, the combine, uh, you know, we, we've, we've heard many stories, how 
teams will, you know, those interviews at night, you know, bringing a quarterback up to the hotel room and having a, a computer screen with all of his plays, all of his interceptions. You know, what did you see here? What, are you setting the protection? You know, what, what coverage are you seeing? And why would you make this decision compared? You know, all these things help paint a picture of who that quarterback is. We don't have that this year. We, we have Zoom. We have virtual interviews. Uh, that teams conduct with all these players, but it's it's obviously not the same as that face-to-face element. So I, I think that the 49ers are smart to not completely just say, well, this is the player we traded up for. So, you know, that's it. Let's shut it down and just you know, pack it in. Let's take every minute we have between now and the draft just to ensure that we have our guy. Everything that you just said is part of the reason the incomplete evaluation of this year's class makes me wonder if we might not see more teams trading back just to collect picks than we've seen in years past. Uh, We just heard Eric DaCosta in the last few days talk about the fact that that's something that they have done and had a lot of success with in their drafts. Um, And I, and I'm, I'm wondering if, is that something that you think we should expect? Oh, no question. Well, I I think that teams are going to be very willing to trade back. And I think what we're going to see some smart teams do is try to trade a fourth rounder this year for a third rounder next year, um, or try to load up on those 2022 picks when they where do have a more theoretically right. Okay. We will hopefully, you know, life will be back to semi-normal at least, and you know, scouts will be on the road. We'll have a combine next year. We'll just have more information. Uh, you know, you want to lower risk, and by adding picks next year, to be in a better position. So. But I, I mean, the only the only issue with teams wanting to trade back is obviously you need a trade partner willing to trade up, and so uh, you know it's it, it can be tough. These quarterbacks, you know, I, I think we're we're probably going to see one more trade in the top ten, uh, with, just with how these quarterbacks are, are how it's going to play out. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think it'll happen until draft night uh, when we you know officially find out who's going three, and then what does Atlanta yes. do at four? That that's yes. that's fascinating. Uh, you know, really, it's you have three options. You take the quarterback. You uh, trade back if you get the right offer or you take the best non-quarterback, which in my opinion is Kyle Pitts. And I think those are three viable options that a reasonable person could make an argument for any of the three. Uh, So it's uh, so crazy too. And, and fun in that it, whoever goes three, that changes everything because people value those three quarterbacks differently. Right. So if, if, Mm -hmm the guy that the Falcons really like at quarterback goes three, then that changes potentially their approach at four. Like the yep. whole thing from a domino standpoint, there's just so many different directions that the whole thing can go. And we see it every, well, maybe not every year, but you know, go back to 2004, for example, uh, the Giants were ready to take Ben Roethlisberger at pick number four if they weren't able to work out that trade where for Eli Manning, where they drafted Rivers. I mean, just think about how different you know, these franchises would be if the Giants drafted Roethlisberger, the Steelers, who knows what they do at 11. It's fascinating to play that game, especially with the quarterbacks, how different NFL history would be. So, yeah, no question. Uh, what 49ers do at three will impact what the, what the Falcons do at four and then what other teams do throughout the rest of that top 10. And, you know, I, like I said, I think we're going to see another trade at some point. Is it the Patriots uh, sitting there at 15, ready to jump up? You know, people will say, well, you know, Bill Belichick in his 25 years as a head coach uh, of an NFL team, we've, we have not seen him take a quarterback in the first round. He's only taken one quarterback in the second round, but that's it. It's, I don't know that you could use that as a, a, as a talking point because with Tom Brady for 20 years, you you didn't need to, I, I would argue that drafting Jimmy Garoppolo in the second round when Tom Brady was still, you know, playing at a high level, 
that tells you he could be pretty aggressive uh, if the value's right, you know, going to get the right quarterback. So uh, if you're sitting there at 15 and when did Castle the, go, do you remember when they drafted Castle? Uh, no, well, he, he was seventh, I believe. He was a late okay, rounder. So it was late. Yeah. He just yeah. ended up playing. So I get stuck in my head that maybe. Right. That right. And, and so, yeah, what, which one is the right quarterback for the, for the Patriots? Is there a right quarterback? I mean, do they, do they love any of these guys? I don't know. And it, with, Trey Lance and Justin Fields, I think we can see them going in the top 10. But if Mac Jones doesn't go three, is there another team in the top 10 that would really jump at the chance to get Mac Jones? It's hard, it's hard to hard to project that. And could the Patriots stay at 15 and get Mac Jones? That's certainly a possibility. So the quarterbacks are always the most fascinating part. I mean, last year we knew Joe Burrow was going one. And then it was, okay, the Dolphins, the, the Chargers, uh, it, which order is it going to be, Tua and Herbert? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were wondering that up until the picks were made. This year, it's even more fascinating. And also, you factor in, we've never seen quarterbacks go one, two, three, four, ever. It's never happened before. We've never seen five quarterbacks go in the top 10. It's never happened before. And I think there's a good chance we see seven quarterbacks go in the top two rounds. That's never happened before. So it's just a very top-heavy quarterback class, and it's going to really drive the what has driven the intrigue, and it will continue to do so up until the picks are made. And then there's Kyle Pitts, the unicorn, uh, the it. consensus best non-quarterback in this draft. What is the lowest that you could see him going? Probably eight. Um, I'd be surprised if he got past the Panthers there at eight. He's not getting past the Cowboys at 10. And the Panthers Jerry would was- throw a party if he oh, fell yeah. to eight. Yeah, exactly. I think when you look at it, four, six, eight, I think those are the three most likely landing spots uh, for the Falcons, six with the Dolphins, and then eight with the Panthers. Um, and it's he's just he's the best player, best non quarterback in this draft. And it reminds me a lot of 2018 with Quentin Nelson. And when he was he, he was so clearly one of the best players in that draft. You just had to get past the mental hurdles of a guard right. being one of the best players. And once you did, it was like, oh, yeah, well, duh, he, he's one of the best players. This year, same thing, a tight end. Once you get past those mental hurdles that he's a tight end and you know a tight end can't be one of the best players in the draft, once you get past that, it's pretty clear. Yeah, he's the best non-quarterback in this class. And it's not that he's just even a tight end. It's, you know, he's a, he's a weapon. He's a yeah. pass catcher. He's a, uh, you know, the ultimate weapon with what you can do on offense. Line him up in line. You can detach him. Use him how the Chiefs use Travis Kelsey. On some plays, he's their X receiver. Uh, but you can still line up within line and, and use them uh, in that way. So uh, he's just, he's a really unique player. And I, I think there will be several teams that will say to themselves, you know what, just can't pass on special. And that's what we have here with Kyle Pitts. So just a really fascinating player. I mean, and you just, you have to ditch the label at this point. I feel like the the way that they're, they're using tight ends around the league and how sure. important the position feels like to a team's success. Um, you and the rest of the world have, uh, Patrick Sertan going 10th to the Cowboys, which would be the latest that we've seen the first defensive player come off the board in this century. In your opinion, what is the absolute earliest that you could see a defensive player go? Probably eight. Um, Carolina, obviously there's, um, and, and obviously a trade could really, you know, mix things up, but you look Not at Carolina. Uh, yeah, I guess Lions, it's feasible. It's possible. Um, you know, would, would they go Michael Parsons? I, I mean, that seems a bit early for him, but it, it's possible. You can't rule it out. Um, I think Carolina, when you look at, they need help at corner and uh, maybe Patrick Sertan uh, being that guy. I, I would be surprised if we saw a pass rusher top 10. Uh, we're not going to see a defensive tackle top 10. We're not going to see a safety top 10. Uh, really comes down to corner. And then maybe if you just love one of those linebackers, 
But I think that's also why the Lions are trying to get out of that spot, trade back into the teams where they have a lot more options with what they want to do. Um, but you look at eight in Carolina, I think that they they have a few different ways they could go here. Offensive line, they need a, you know, if Penny Sewell, Rashawn Slater, the, the moment they become the pick, they're an upgrade at left tackle. And so that would be a big deal, especially when you bring in Sam Darnold and you don't want to make the same mistakes the Jets made, not giving him protection. If you're really going to give him a shot, you know, let's, let's uh, build up that offensive line. So offensive line makes uh, some sense, but they need help at corner. And so Patrick Sertan could see him uh, being the pick there. Uh, and then the Broncos, I don't see them going corner with the additions no. they made in free agency. Um, you know, is there one of these quarterbacks that uh, it really interests them? Um, it, it's hard because and a, a, another talking point with these teams, a lot of them have a first year general manager or a first year head coach. And so we don't have a really established track record of what they're going to do. You know, the Falcons at four, the Lions at seven. Uh, you know, you look at uh, Carolina's got a first year GM, the, the Broncos uh, with, with Peyton, a first year uh, general manager. So a lot of new faces there in the top 10 where you can't really point to their drafting history mm -hmm. at, with much confidence and say, well, well, this is what we think they're going to do. You mentioned the Lions trying to get out of seven, uh, which I think would be absolutely the right decision for them. They need so many things, but that's what you're hearing. Yeah. They're yeah. trying to move back. No question. Um, seven and eight, I think Lions and Panthers. And I, I would say that there's probably a higher chance we see a trade back at seven or eight than even at four. Cause I think if you're a team like the Patriots or one of those teams trying to get up into the top 10 for a quarterback, I don't know that you have to go up all the way to four because at five, the Bengals, they're not drafting a quarterback yeah. and we, we feel pretty confident they're going to stay put and draft uh, whether it's Penny Sewell or Jamar Penny Chase. Sewell. I know uh, I disagree yeah. there, but no, I, I, Penny Sewell to me is the smart pick there. At okay. five. It, uh, so I know but, you have Chase mocked there. Yeah, I, I do. Just because that's what I think they're going to do. But okay. if I were making the pick, Sewell, that's that I would not be passing on him. Uh, six with the Dolphins. They already traded up. Um, so I don't know that they're going to try and trade back. So I think you're looking at number seven or eight as that that landing spot to go up and get your guy. Both those teams are looking to trade back. Um, and both are in interesting spots with their quarterback situations. Uh, you know, so it's I, it all comes back to the quarterbacks and what happens at one, two, three, and then what happens four, and then you know, where's that fifth quarterback go? Uh, that's, that's really interesting. Are we going to have a surprise, like maybe Washington make a splash and try to move up and, and do something? Um, Chicago, uh, you can't rule it out uh, as they search for their next quarterback. So uh, the quarterback uh, dominoes are really going to be interesting. Clearly, right? The, the quarterbacks will, will control the board, uh, yeah. the way that it falls. But it feels like another position that I'm finding very interesting is – cornerback because I see them popping up for every single team right as a, as yep. a need when you look at mock drafts you're seeing cornerbacks going just about everywhere it feels like and I know that that has a lot to do with teams needing so many corners potentially some positional value factoring in there but I also feel like corner is one of the tougher positions to mock because they're essentially different types of corners right. there are different ways that defenses use them so it's not just a straight up, this guy is the best guy. Don't you maybe even more than any other position need to take into account talent and fit when you're kind of plugging in who goes where? Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, you look at, uh, you know, Dallas, for example, you know, with Dan Quinn coming in as defensive coordinator, um, you know, does that mean we're going to see a lot more cover three and, you know, what, what Dan Quinn did in Seattle, what he did in Atlanta, um, and if that's the case, then, you know, JC Horn, he's more of a press man guy. So I don't know that that necessarily would be a fit. 
Um, if, if the cow, if Patrick Sertan's off the board and the Cowboys really want that corner. Um, but you know, at the same time, you know, maybe the, the, with the, the Cowboys, when they look at it, uh, you know, they're coming off a defensive coordinator, Mike Nolan, who they had for a year and didn't work out. Are they fully invested in Dan Quinn where they're ready to say, okay, well, you want this specific type of corner that well, that's what we'll go get. What if it doesn't work out with Dan Quinn and they have to move on? And then you have a player that, uh, you know, maybe not fit the next system that you're running. So it's always tough from an organization. You need to go all standpoint. in on something, right? Right. Yeah. Like right. the whole like yeah. somewhere in the middle thing that can't work. Right. Playing, trying to play it safe, trying to you know uh, ride the fence. Can't do that, obviously. And it's something that uh, it, it's the, the teams that are a little more invested in their coaching and understand what they want. They usually come out looking the best on draft weekend. And so uh, these corners, you're right. Some of them you feel like they can play man, can play zone. Um, some of them, you know, not so much. Some of them you're looking at maybe being a little more scheme specific. Uh, for me, the toughest part with these corners are, you know, a guy like Caleb Farley, who in my opinion yes. is slam dunk, the, the, the best corner in this draft. Mm-hmm. He, his speed, his burst for a guy that size, six, two with, uh, over 33, he has the arm length that makes Rashawn Slater jealous. So it's just, you know, he's a very unique player, a very unique talent. Uh, a quarterback in high school, went to Virginia Tech as a wide receiver, never played corner in his life until 2018, a season opener, and he had two picks in that game. So this is just a guy that's a natural with ball instincts. Uh, his burst is rare. The speed is outstanding. But the nice. ACL uh, uh, in 2017, two back procedures, including one in March, that probably is going to keep him out until at some point during training camp. And we don't know just you know when he'll be able to be on the field for us as a rookie. So it's one of those cases where he could play out his rookie contract fully healthy and, you know, it it not pop up. But when you talk about back injuries, uh, it's always tricky. Those things usually come back and could affect him down the road. So the injury stuff with Caleb Farley makes him, you know, really it puts a discount sticker on his, on his, on his tag where he fits on that draft board and different teams will have different appetites for risk when it comes to a guy like that. I could see him going 20. I could see him falling out of the first round and I would not be surprised at either outcome. I've seen him mocked. Maybe it was Schrager's mock that had Hmm. him going 17 to the Raiders. Someone had him going 17 to the Raiders. And I was like, I can't see that happening because of their last few drafts. I feel like their appetite for risk has to be low this year. The guy Mm -hmm. that they bring in at 17, that guy better hit. They need a starter that they can count on. And so the injury risk, if you draft a guy with a ton of upside and then he can't play out his rookie contract, then that costs people jobs. So I feel like there are certain teams out there. They're one that jumps out at me that potentially could go get a corner, though I guess they need kind of a specific type of corner, but I I don't see him going there. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I initially thought the Titans as well. You know, this is a, an organization that, uh, you know, Jeffrey Simmons, when he was coming out a couple of years ago, had the ACL. You thought maybe a top five to seven talent falls to them in the mid first round. They take a chance and, you know, it's looking like that's working out for the best. But, you know, after last year's debacle, when they drafted Isaiah Wilson in the first round, and that was, you know, arguably the, the biggest bust we've ever seen uh, now out of the NFL after two, uh, you know, time with two teams. Are the Titans going to be a little more conservative with the type of player they go after? Um, so does that eliminate a Jalen Phillips? Uh, does that eliminate Caleb Farley for them? Absolutely. I think that's that's something that to consider when you try to map it out. Um, you know, the Browns, uh, they, they I, I think that. 
they would love to go corner there at 26. But with Greedy Williams, the issues that he's had with his shoulder, uh, Denzel Ward, some of the issues he's had with concussions, you know, are they looking for more of a sturdy corner that they know they can rely on? And that that also factors in with Greg Newsom uh, at a Northwestern, who mm. is my third ranked corner. I think just based on talent, he's a top 25 pick, but he's a guy that has missed at least three games each of his three years in college and nothing major, nothing like like Caleb Farley. But the soft tissue injuries and that, that stuff, those nagging injuries, it adds up. And we you need to be able to rely on your first round pick. And some teams might be, uh, you know, a little more risk, risk adverse and decide to go in a different direction just because of that. But that passer rating allowed of 31.7. Ugh. It's Not just bad. so th- th- this process that that like is a perfect example in a nutshell of why yeah. this process is so hard. You know, there's just so many guys that could hit, but then there's like That's this it. little thing and risk aversion versus teams that are in a position to potentially take a chance. Like you've got teams yeah. like, you know, the Browns who all of a sudden have so much talent and you're yeah. like, I don't know who's the best player available. They could literally plug that in. I mean, you have some positions yeah. that you could. Um, bulk up more than others but is there a team in the draft that you're not hearing people talk about a lot that you think is particularly interesting either in the options available to them or the way that they could affect the trickle down with their pick well you know I think this is it's kind of weird because they have the number one overall pick but we're not talking about the Jaguars that we much. We really because, aren't. No, no, it's just it's, plugged in and done. And right, exactly. And but the, I, I, you know, one of the reasons the Jaguars are so interesting is Urban Meyer. You know, first year uh, NFL head coach. Um, you know, just how that's going to play out in his first draft, um, and the fact that they have five picks in the first like eighty picks or something like that. So, uh, including another pick in the first round. Yeah. So what do they do? Right. What are they doing? Talking at about who you're going to put with. Right. And, and I think in my mock draft, I gave them Elijah Moore because I, I think part of me says Urban Meyer can't help himself and he's going to go after speed, speed, speed. He wants to be the fastest team in the league. Elijah Moore, one of the fastest players in this draft. You plug him into that offense and all of a sudden he's your Percy Harvin, your Paris Campbell, uh, that speed weapon that uh, Urban Meyer would love to have in, in that offense, even though it's a, it's a Daryl Bevel offense. But Urban Meyer is still going to have a say in how it's uh, you know, how they construct the roster. So, uh, and then what they have one of the first picks in the second round, um, what do they do there? Get better on defense. Do you invest in the offensive line? This is a really strong offensive line class. Do you, you know, help protect your investment at quarterback and Trevor Lawrence? So what the Jag, I mean, this could be a monumental shift for that franchise at what the Jaguars do with those five picks. If they hit on four of them, um, you know, you're looking at this could be a pretty quick turnaround that obviously it all hinges on Trevor Lawrence and how he develops, how, you know, just how quickly he's able to uh, hopefully live up to the hype. But uh, the Jaguars are a team just we kind of overlook them at number one because the pick is, you know, Trevor Lawrence already has the playbook. You know, it's, it's we already yeah. know what, what's happening there. But what they do with those other four picks in the first three rounds is, is really fascinating. Is there any question in your mind about whether or not he will work out for them because we're not really evaluating him everyone agrees he's the number one guy coming out in the class and so once that was decided I think conversationally we've had so many conversations where we've broken down you know fields and lance and mac like the most intricate way we know so many details about their game but if you're a casual fan you're just like Oh, Trevor Lawrence is good, (laughs) you know and then you can have this full barroom conversation about the other quarterbacks right well you know I Obviously, he is, you know, uh, I don't know that I call him a generational quarterback, but he's a generational talent. You know, with everything that he offers, um, it, it's kind of how you draw up a quarterback. 
there are a few holes in his game, though, or maybe not holes, but nitpicks that we can make. Uh, at his pro day, he was 213 pounds. That's not a lot for a guy that's 6'5", uh, almost 6'6". Um, you know, it, you wish he had a, maybe a little more body armor uh, on his on his frame, a little more bulk. And I'm sure, you know, he's, he, he is coming off that uh, shoulder surgery, so I think he'll get there. But it, it's something that's a little bit of a cause for concern. When you watch that Clemson offense, it's such a, it's an RPO based offense. It's a lot of, of quick game. And so the ball's up and gone. Um, you know, there's going to be a big adjustment from what he was asked to do in college to what he's going to need to do in the NFL. Now, I don't think it's a huge concern because we've seen him work the intermediate part of the field, work the uh, deep part of the field and throw with accuracy, throw with anticipation, throws really well on the move. So not a huge concern with Trevor Lawrence, but there will be an adjustment period for him. And as we know, you know, there's the word safe, the words consensus, the word, you know, those words don't belong in any NFL draft conversation no. because anything can happen. Um, and a part of it is, you know, the, uh, you know, drafting is one thing. The evaluation part is one thing. We don't talk enough about the development and what it takes for an NFL team, that coaching staff, to make sure they're doing everything that they need to do to develop that player to reach his ceiling uh, for that organization. So, like I said before, Urban Meyer, you know, it's his first year as an NFL head coach. Um, you know, he's obviously done it at a high level at, at the college level. But what can he do? Does he have the right pieces in place, the right infrastructure in the NFL and the professionals to make sure Trevor Lawrence reaches his potential? That's it's a little bit of an unknown at this point. I, I think there's a good chance that, that, you know, they make it work. They figure it out. Um, but there's at least some unknown that if, if it didn't work out, I think we could point to some of these reasons as maybe uh, being a part of uh, why it didn't work. So you've done all this work. You've spent more than a year getting ready for this specific draft. What is draft day like for you? Uh, you know, it's Christmas. It really is. It's uh, it's the best day of the year. Um, you know, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of nerves because you're still kind of wondering, okay, you know, what – uh, what's going to happen. Uh, it, honestly, you know, we, we get, you know, people you know, like me study the draft and, and analyze it and talk about it. We get judged so much on our final mock drafts. Um, you know, like and it, it, we're all still guessing at that point, you know? And so that, that, that gives me a little bit of anxiety. Does, am I guessing right? Uh, Cause usually, you know, I've been doing this long enough where I hear you hear a lot of stuff. And at the end of the day, after draft weekend, it turns out maybe 40% of it ends up being true. And so between now and the draft, I'm trying to figure out, okay, all this stuff that I'm hearing, what's the 40% that's true. And, you know, going in on that with my final mock draft and, you know, uh, when I'm, when I'm talking about these players, uh, just where they're landing and how teams are feeling. Uh, so that could be a struggle. Um, but you know, it, it is really, it's, it's Christmas. It's you, you work all year round for this one day to see it come to fruition. And, and it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun, uh, you know, cause at a certain point, you know, you get tired of talking about what could be and you get excited about talking about what is and how this fits and, uh, you know, how Trey Lance is going to impact the 49ers or how Justin Fields is going to fit in Denver or however it plays out. I'm looking forward to that part of the process and talking about that. Totally. Once we know where everyone's going and can right. actually start having some sort of projection type of conversation, when you say 40% hits, are you talking about first round? You're not actually talking about your seven round mock, right? No, no. but you okay. know, after the first round, I, I will do a second, third round mock, you know, that night, um, you know, come out Friday morning, just to, you know, have fun with it to see, you know, what happened in the first round and the, you know, what are you hearing for the second round, third round? So, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's tough. I, I think when you look at mock drafts, they get a little bit of a bad rap because 
it's it's not all about the, the only mock draft that I do that it's strictly about accuracy is that final mock draft. Up until then, it's really you're you're playing out scenarios and you know how something could play out with educated guesses. And you know it's the same thing NFL teams do. NFL teams do mock drafts because they want to know, okay, if, if I'm picking 17, I want to know how those first 16 mm-hmm. picks are going to play out. So NFL teams do mock drafts based off of educated guesses and scenarios. And so uh, if it's okay for NFL teams, it's good enough for us. How many mocks do you do before you actually publish a mock? Um, well, I mean, throughout the course of a year or just like before that final one? Um, even, well, I guess that's a good question because you're releasing several, but like before you release a mock, I would imagine you want it to be as accurate as possible. So are you Mm -hmm. kind of doing like some practice mocks and saying like, oh, actually that changes. Yeah. I don't see that actually happening because then they would run out of, you know, they're not able to get this position down here. Like, are you doing practice mocks before you actually press send on one and feel comfortable putting it out there to the world? Yeah, what, what I do is I, I like to send it to some of my buddies in the league and just say, hey, what do you think? You, you think this is likely? You think this is possible? Um, you know, this is I'm hearing this. What are you hearing on on, on this pick? And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I'll get back, you know, that, that that's what I would do or that's what I'm guessing. Or sometimes they say, uh, I just can't see that happening. I, 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 this is this goes against what I'm hearing. And, you know, that helps. And you know, sometimes it ends up where I was right the first time or, you know, they, they were right. And so I'm glad I did. And it, it all comes back to we're all guessing, you know, we're all taking educated guessing, trying to look for those breadcrumbs and understand, you know, kind of lead us where, you know, after the draft, it's easy. And we look back and say, well, of course, that Atlanta's taken, you know, Kyle Pitts. It was all it was all pointing there right. that Matt Ryan with that contract. And, you know, it was all pointing to Kyle Pitts, of course. But right now you're thinking oh, they could have Trey Lance. That would be, that would set them up pretty well. That would, uh, you know, that natural transition long-term. So it's, it's all about, you know, what could be now. And that, that makes a lot of fun. When does the final mock come out? Uh, probably Thursday morning. I'll probably work on it yeah, next week and kind of yeah, a few different iterations and pass it along and uh, try to get it as, as close as possible. I know, you know, like a couple of years ago when Baker Mayfield went number one, we all would thought Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold. And then that morning it kind of became clear, okay, they're leaning Baker Mayfield. So, you know, doing some last minute edits on there. We'll see this year. We'll see if San Francisco maybe tips their hand a little bit before uh, Roger Goodell steps up to the podium. Are you competitive? With the other final mocks, like, are you, you know, going back and saying, like, how did I fare against DJ and Traeger and some of those guys? Honestly, no, just because it's the thing with mock drafts is we could have one trade in the top 10 that changes sets off a domino everything. effect that changes everything. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really it's likely that that happens. And so, you know, if you know what I like doing is, you know, it following along with the draft, the draft and understanding where each pick is going to be. And, uh, you know, being able to in live time, uh, you know, predict who it's going to be based off of who goes where and the trades that happen. But no, I, I have never entered a mock draft contest and I'll be completely honest with you. I have no problem missing on all 32 of my picks Mm -hmm. because you know what that meant? It was an exciting draft. That meant it was fun. And at the end of the day, I want people to judge me based off the draft guide and and that stuff more so than a mock draft. And I'd rather have fun on, on draft weekend and enjoy some of these uh, surprising picks and and the craziness. Well, I can't wait for that final draft. I will be check a final mock. I will be checking it out. And um, thank you so much for all of your hard work, such great content that you are providing all of us draft Nicks out there. And thank you so much for your time too. Anytime. Thanks Lindsay. 
he's pretty great, right? So if you're not following him already on Twitter, do yourself a favor and click that button. It's DP Brugler, B-R-U-G-L-E-R. He also has a pod called Prospects to Pros with Lance Zerline, who joined us here a couple of months ago with a full senior bowl breakdown. Uh, anyway, I'm inspired now to go finish that mock. Also helps me now that I'm armed with so much more information. And I guess I kind of have to do it now because I can't say I'm going to do it here and then not do it. This is like how accountability works, right? Like saying publicly that you're going to go work out every day this week so you feel like you have to or something like that. I would never do that. Anyway, it's almost here. One more episode to go before the draft. Yay! We'll see you Tuesday, everybody. Have a great weekend.